0: Good morning, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Federal Reserve policymakers are meeting this week amid surging inflation and rising virus concerns. Bankrate chief financial analyst Greg McBride joins us to discuss what the Fed chair could say this afternoon to ease both those investor concerns. Also this morning, the Children's Mentoring Connection is in need of more male volunteers. You can learn about making a difference in a kid's life at this week's Mentoring Open House. Director Stacy Shaw will have details. And in our ongoing Keeping the Faith series have the broad theological trends of American churches in the name of inclusion, taken the attention off of Christ and his message. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, July 28th, 2021. Today, if you're looking for a reason to celebrate, National Milk Chocolate Day. Need I say more? <laughs> National Milk Chocolate Day. National Water Park Day. It is World Hepatitis Day and World Nature Conservation Day. Reasons to celebrate today in- Especially that first one, National Milk Chocolate Day today. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Hey, a uh, very good morning to you. Good to have you with us uh, this morning. Big news. uh, Simone Biles has dropped out of the individual all-around competition at the Olympics. It's one more blow for the Tokyo Olympic Games that have been, I don't know, shall we say lackluster at best to this point? And there are probably a lot of reasons for that. We mentioned a few days ago that the uh, TV ratings for the opening ceremony of the games were down 37% from 2016 in Rio. And now viewership for the games themselves is down too. Nielsen data showing that uh, ratings for the first three nights of competition were down more than 30% compared to the last Olympic Games, Summer Olympic Games in Rio. Uh, Viewership does improve a little bit when you factor in the coverage on the cable channels, not just on NBC, the broadcast network itself, but the uh, cable channels like NBCSN and USA. And I think CNBC has been showing some competitions as well. And also when you factor in uh, live streaming, Uh, so you take all of that and uh, the ratings do improve a little bit. But And it says here it is unclear whether the lackluster ratings are due to the overall decline in TV viewership for live uh, sports events or to a lack of interest in the games. Uh, Maybe the time difference could be playing a role as well. Tokyo 13 to 16 hours ahead of time zones in the U.S. And uh, Nielsen says while some 12 million people watched the primetime coverage of the opening ceremony Friday night, 5 million people watched live early Friday morning. So there are a lot of factors for this, but we mentioned it yesterday, uh, kind of a lackluster performance by many of the American athletes and many of the well-known athletes uh, probably has com- uh, contributed to that. Simone Biles has struggled. Naomi Osaka uh, is, is out in the uh, tennis competition. The uh, U.S. women's soccer team got shellacked, early on they still have advanced uh, advanced to the medal round but certainly with the opening performance that was not uh, that was not great um, there were other surprises and uh, Katie Ledecky did not win so i mean there were did not win that the one what the one gold that uh, she was expected to win so there have been a lot of uh, factors i think but uh, anyway tv ratings for the uh, uh, olympic games not what NBC was hoping for, and I, I, the fact that there are no fans in the stands, it just takes away uh, from a lot of the pageantry of the Olympics. So, anyway, have you been watching a- at all? I don't know. I just I, I am not as big a fan of the Summer Olympics as I am the Winter Olympics. I mean, the things like the bobsled and the luge and the, I mean those the skiing and and uh, all of that. I mean those sports where people are going really fast. <laughs> they, those are those are exciting, and I don't I don't know that the Summer Olympics, uh, you know, track and field just to me doesn't compare to the downhill skiing. That's just you know pretty intense stuff. And The bobsled and and all of that. Uh, surfing was kind of cool. I did watch some of that uh, the other day. The American uh, girl from Hawaii actually uh, won the won the gold. So we have. Um, And not to go too much on and drone on and on and on about the Olympics, but a couple of uh, uh, things that I thought, one thing that I thought was cool. Uh, The uh, one girl from Hawaii won the surfing competition, first surfing gold at the Olympics. And uh, the one swimmer from Alaska won gold. First time uh, that a a swimmer from Alaska has won gold. So we have... Hawaii and Alaska both represented in Olympic gold in the U.S. So that's kind of cool. I know I'm not sure if that has ever happened, but some of the other first things you need to know to get your Wednesday morning started at middle of the week here. The Food and Drug Administration has asked Pfizer and Moderna to expand the size of their studies of their respective COVID-19 vaccines to include more children between the ages of five and eleven. Uh, As uh, variants spread, the New York Times reports the companies have agreed to expand those tests. They request a precautionary measure to detect rare vaccine side effects, such as heart inflammation that have been seen in some vaccinated people under the age of 30. So they want to expand the test and uh, get a bigger sample size to know if this is something they should be worried about with teenagers. Pfizer may be able to receive emergency authorization for the 5 to uh, 11-year-old age group. By the end of September, a Moderna spokesperson says the company intends to expand its trials and seek emergency authorization late this year or early next year. So, again, uh, pay attention uh, to that. It appears that they uh, are looking more and more at uh, getting this vaccines into the arms of, uh, of kids, which are still sort of the lone holdout segment of the population not eligible for the vaccine at this point. Some of the other uh, interesting uh, uh, – oh, this may have something to do with the uh, pandemic. A new study out yesterday from Indiana University's Lilly Family School of Philanthropy found that only half of U.S. households donated to charity last year. Um, That's the lowest rate in nearly two decades. In the year 2000, two-thirds of U.S. households donated to a charity – But that was down to 49.6% in the latest study. And actually, I said this was from last year. This is actually data from 2018. They release this study every other year. So charitable donations down to under 50% of, of Americans has nothing to do with the pandemic. Initially, I thought, well, probably because of the pandemic, people... You know, not being able to go out to uh, benefit events. A lot of those got canceled. Not as many people going to church. So maybe they're not throwing a few bucks in the offering plate and that kind of thing. But this had nothing to do with that because this data is from 2018. And it continues a trend of charitable donations being at record highs, uh, even as they are coming from a smaller and smaller percentage of the population which is kind of interesting. Experts cite factors, including the percentage of people giving to religious charitable causes has fallen along with the decline in worship service attendance, which uh, was underway well b- before the pandemic hit and certainly did not help. Uh, the percentage of people donating dropped after the great recession and has not yet recovered. The study also suggests declining levels of trust among Americans for institutions and Distrust for each other may also play a role, which is kind of interesting. And I would imagine probably accurate in that respect. But yeah, fewer of us are donating to charity and it has nothing to do with the pandemic, as it turns out. Kind of interesting. This is big news. Next time you go to the grocery store, uh, pay close attention to the Campbell's soup cans. They are getting their first redesign. In about a half a century, eagle-eyed customers will notice that the famed red and white design remains, but the Campbell's logo is receiving a modernized logo scripture, it says, that includes eliminating the shadow, the drop shadow on the logo, and a slightly changed font that is more closely based on the original signature of company founder Joseph Campbell. Now about that? Other changes include the word soup is now printed in a new font, along with a slanted O as a nod to the brand's original label from all the way back in 1898. Also, the C from the redesigned Campbell's signature is used in the fleur-de-lis next to the word soup. Varieties receiving the redesigned labels include tomato, cream of chicken, cream of mushroom, and chicken noodle soup, the redesigned cans currently rolling out to store shelves. So big, big news there. (laughs) Again, we are are here to give you the most pressing, most important stories of the day. Campbell's Soup is redesigning their soup labels. (laughs) And because every day we have to have something to worry about, Here is the latest doomsday story. NASA says a huge asteroid is set to pass close to Earth on Sunday, August 1st. That would be this Sunday, right? The 2008 GGO 20 asteroid, 2008 GO 20, uh, is between 318 and 720 feet tall. And is traveling through space at eighteen thousand miles an hour. Yeah, you don't want to, <laughs> you don't want to con- come into contact with that. Seven could be seven hundred feet tall, eighteen thousand miles an hour. The gigantic asteroid has drawn size comparisons to the uh, Great Pyramids and the Taj Mahal, so it's about that size. It is predicted to come as close as two point eight million miles away from Earth. For comparison. The moon is 238,000 miles away. Venus is 126 million miles away. And Mars is 236 million miles away. So 2.8 million miles further than the moon, but closer than the closest planet in our solar system. NASA says the distance could shrink due to the gravitational pull of planets as the asteroid passes through the solar system. But the main concern would be future potential future collisions rather than any worry about the asteroid's passage this coming Sunday. So we don't have to worry about it, but maybe two or three generations, uh, this might be the asteroid that dooms the Earth. Who knows? So there you go. Some very important stuff (laughs) because we always have to have a doomsday story to start your day some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your midweek wednesday started
1: wfin news i'm matt demchek the wtol 11 first alert forecast mostly sunny today with a high of 87 partly cloudy tonight a low of 67 the hancock county sheriff's office citizens sheriff's academy class will return this fall after being canceled last year due to the pandemic Sheriff Michael Heldman says each night they focus on a different aspect of the sheriff's office.
2: We meet once a week and we talk about the inner workings of the sheriff's office. And it tells, you know, what may be a night with one of the detectives. It may be a night with the canine.
1: The Citizens Sheriff's Academy class will begin on September 9th and run for nine weeks on Thursday nights from 630 to 9. People interested should call or email the sheriff's office. We have their contact information on our website. Hancock Public Health will be on hand at Flag City Night Out next week to offer people the COVID vaccine. Flag City Night Out will be next Tuesday night from 6 to 9 at Riverside Park. The Hancock Public Health Mobile Health Clinic will be offering the one-dose Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Speaking of the new Mobile Health Clinic, we got a tour of it from Health Commissioner Kareem Baroudi.
0: I think it's going to be a great tool. We're going to make it convenient. It's going to go to a neighborhood near you. It's going to go to a festival near you, uh, to a park near you where it will be really 10 minutes of your time. Uh, Make sure we, we check on your general health, wellness.
1: Baruti says the mobile clinic will be used for a variety of prevention initiatives and health education, and currently it's being used to primarily help administer the COVID vaccine. He says they're still in the process of hiring a permanent staff for the mobile clinic, and once they have, you'll start to see it out and about even more. Get more on the new Mobile Health Clinic on our website. The Ohio State Highway Patrol is asking for your vote in the best-looking cruiser contest put on by the American Association of State Troopers. And it appears a lot of people have been voting for the Ohio State Highway Patrol because they are now in the number one spot, overtaking Kentucky. The American Association of State Troopers puts a daily update on its Facebook page. On our website, you can check out pictures of all the states that entered a cruiser, and you can vote for your favorite. Voting will end August 3rd at noon. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demcheck for 1330
0: WFIN and 95.5 FM. Our cover story this morning, the Federal Reserve policymakers be wrapping up their latest two-day meeting on economic policy this afternoon, uh, releasing their strategy on interest rates, monetary policy Uh, at about two o'clock. And of course, uh, Federal uh, Reserve Chair Jerome Powell uh, will be uh, speaking with reporters uh, this afternoon about three or so. What might we hear from the Fed chair? Joining us this morning is uh, Bankrate Senior Financial Analyst uh, Greg McBride. Uh, And and Greg, obviously, sometimes it, it is what the Fed does. Sometimes it is what they say probably today it will be more the latter that people would be paying attention to because with respect of what they're going to do there's really no question they're not really going to change anything in terms of policy are they
2: that is correct chris and thanks for having me it's nice to talk with you again uh, yeah we're probably i'd say 12 to 24 months away from an actual rate hike mm. uh, the first step is going to be dialing back the $120 billion a month in bond purchases they're making. Those have really helped keep mortgage rates, among other things, down at really low levels. And so they're probably not going to even start that process until the end of this year, early next year. But what they have pledged to do is be very forthright in communicating well in advance uh, to markets how they're going to do it, when they're going to do it, and all that good stuff. So we're getting close to that timetable where they've got to start doing the laying the verbal groundwork for this but the only thing is the rise in the delta variant uh, i think is going to um give the fed the, the fed some some pause they've talked you know for the last year and a half about the risk to the economy right. from the virus they've said before we're not out of the woods and i think the, the latest flare-up i think gives them the cover to you know just play cards close, close to the vests Uh, you know, for another month or so.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, uh, if they say something along those lines, that, hey, we're going to start easing up on the bond buying, will that be enough to add even more volatility to what's already been kind of a crazy market? And it's interesting uh, that, you know, we've we've got these dueling concerns. Some people uh, are worried about uh, the uh, skyrocketing inflation because of this quick post-pandemic restart others are saying well the rise in delta variant cases could slow down the economic restart so you're kind of damned if you do damned if you don't
2: but their preference and their bias is clearly on the side of not stunting the economic recovery and so they're willing to keep the pedal to the metal uh, and play inflation roulette in the meantime, just to assure that they don't stunt the economic recovery, or that the virus doesn't do it. They, yeah. you know they don't. Uh, you know they want to remain fully accommodative and, and create conditions where we we have an economic recovery and we can close that gap of uh, the shortfall of about six point eight million jobs that we have relative to where we were pre pandemic. I think Chris, more than anything else, that's probably the one number that matters the most. They may have a, a dual mandate of both price stability and full employment, mm-hmm. but their bias is clearly towards the full employment side of that equation as evidenced by the change in their framework that they made almost a year ago.
0: And with respect to those concerns over you know, skyrocketing inflation, I mean, it's still only, what, about 4% or so? I mean, certainly not the kind of inflation that we saw back say the late 70s and early 80s. Uh, and And are we kind of spoiled by the fact that we've had virtually no inflation for so long prior to this that four seems like skyrocketing inflation
2: well and that's the thing even then it's really not four because we're comparing year over year and this time last year price levels were falling yeah so so it's a little like looking at the baseball player who's going to hit 30 home runs this year but only hit 10 last year well i mean it was a shortened year and maybe the guy was hurt half the time right so it's not a fair comparison let's look versus 2019 and then annualize that over two years. And then that gives us a fuller picture. Well, in that sense, yes, inflation's up, but it's up at an annual rate of 3%. So, you know, there's a little bit of both there. You know, definitely not skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's higher than it had been. And we had been kind of lulled to sleep by very low inflation for the better part of the last 15 years. Right. Uh, And and we're going to have to get used to, I think, a higher level of inflation than what we had. But it's probably going to be more in the, you know, 2 to 3% range, not in the 1% to 2% range that we had enjoyed for so long.
0: Does that uh, speak to something that uh, Jerome Powell said a couple of weeks ago, that there is really no playbook to shutting down and then reopening a multi-trillion dollar economy? It it really kind of speaks to the fact that nobody really knows quite what to expect.
2: Very true. And, you know, I think you've seen that evidence in a lot of different ways. You look at the supply chain constraints, you look at just some of the wacky things we're seeing in the inflation numbers. Used car prices uh, have have contributed to a third of the increase in overall consumer prices each of the last three months. Uh, You you could have won a lot of money betting on that one uh, (laughs) earlier this year. So, you know, just these really quirky type things, I think, are testament to the fact that, yeah, this unprecedented is a word that's been used a lot in the year and a half last year and a half and you know for good reason
0: as you mentioned the biggest concern of the fed is going to be not doing anything that would slow or throw a monkey wrench into uh, the the economic recovery this uh, engine chugging along but there are those um mark Zandi, your counterpoint at uh, moody's analytics uh, who believe that the post-pandemic economic surge Perhaps has already peaked, uh, and that there is likely going to be a slowdown in the second half of 2021. Uh, would you agree with that assessment? Yes, I mean, you know, and and but let's put
2: that in context. I mean, you know, we are going to see an absolute blockbuster pace of economic growth posted for the second quarter of this year. Um, and that number is going to come out Friday. Um, you know, we're probably looking at something in the order of you know. Be, eight or even nine percent annualized for the second quarter on an annual basis. And so, yes, that's going to be the peak. The growth rate will be slower in the third and fourth quarters than it was then. Mm -hmm. But for the year, the economy is still going to grow at the fastest pace in almost 40 years. So, you know, yes, it's slowing, but you know, it's like slowing from 120 down to 85.
0: <laughs> yeah, still, uh, still pretty solid numbers uh, there when the when the dust settles. So again, the monetary policy statement to be out uh, this afternoon. Uh, Jerome Powell will speak to uh, reporters. What do you expect to hear from the Fed later today?
2: Well, I, uh, what I do expect to hear is a heightened level of concern about the economic risks posed by the Delta variant. What I don't expect to hear is anything definitive or any kind of uh, formal clarification on, you know, timetable for starting to dial back those bond purchases. Mm -hmm. I think they're going to punt that down the road, given the concerns that they get from, uh, you know, are, are arising from the latest Delta variant.
0: And how does the market react to all of this? Because over the course of the past couple of weeks, we've seen uh, historic highs. We've seen some really, really big sell-offs back and forth. What's going to be the reaction?
2: Well, the the Fed staying, it's completely accommodative. Keeping the pedal to the metal, Mm -hmm. that's what investors want to hear. So, I mean, ultimately, I think the market, you know, largely shrugs that off. Now, I will say, do expect, heightened volatility in the months to come because we are at an inflection point not only in yeah. terms of the fed policy but as we were talking about a moment ago peak economic yeah. growth is behind us right valuations are going to start to come into question at some point and that's going to contribute to, to volatility as
0: well all right so a lot to watch for there again bank rate chief financial analyst Greg mcbride uh talking about uh, today's federal reserve uh, statement uh, announcement in the uh, uh, forthcoming press conference from uh, chairman jerome powell greg thanks very much for taking the time as always we appreciate it
2: thanks so much chris appreciate
0: it well, as i mentioned a little bit earlier the children's mentoring connection is in need of male volunteers in particular and you can learn more about making a difference in a kid's life at this week's Mentoring Open House. Uh, CMC Director Stacy Shaw is with us uh, on the line this morning. And sadly, Stacy, this is not necessarily a new thing. Uh, CMC is always in need of volunteers. It seems like there are never enough to go around.
3: That is correct, Chris. You and I have talked several times, and it seems to be a constant theme yeah. that we always have, and um, that there is a need for Uh, men to get involved um, who have extra time to spend with the young men in our community to help support them. So
0: talk a little bit about what is involved. And this is part of what you're going to be talking about at the uh, mentoring open house emphasis on the word men. What is involved in a mentoring uh, match?
3: Right. And one of the reasons we wanted to host the mentoring open house was to give men an opportunity to come in and talk with our other male mentors so that they can share their experiences. So we're encouraging um, people to come because I think it's easier to hear hear from another male's perspective Mm -hmm. what it is what they do when they're out with a young man in our community. So, um, and that can be really all of those things that you remember doing as a child, that maybe for some it's been a while since you've done it, or maybe (laughs) for others it's things that you're still doing, Um, And those things can be from, um, you know, playing sports to uh, playing the guitar to gaming to Legos, um, all of those things, because really for all of our programs, the key to all of it is building that relationship. So sitting, talking with that child, um, going out, doing activities, fishing, walking through the park, all of those things that help develop them to have the confidence that there is a caring person with that male perspective in their lives. Um, as many of our men, our young men in our community program um, are living with single parents or perhaps also we have a lot of them living with grandparents. Um, and so somebody that has that extra time available to do that. And when I mentioned time, it doesn't have to be a huge commitment. So we have uh, programs for those who have a little bit of time to give on occasion. Um, We have those who, um, our community program, we ask for two to three times a month that you get together with your mentee. And then our school-based program is a little bit more structured. So for the the men out there who are wondering what would we do with them, um, we could participate in our school-based program. And every week, our case managers plan that activity at whichever school that you volunteer with.
0: So you're looking for volunteers involving uh, all of those programs, and I can hear a lot of folks uh, say, you know, I don't know – you know two or three times a month i don't know you know what i would do uh with uh, my mentee for that amount of time but as you mentioned it could be just about anything even we, we've talked about this before i mean you, you run into the hardware store picking up uh, stuff for a project you're doing around the house yeah, have the kids tag along i mean that's what you know that's what we did with our dads when uh, you know when we were younger and it's still you know it's that time more so than the activity itself
3: Absolutely, absolutely, and and that's one of the things as you mentioned um, that is a good way to think about fitting um, fitting this into your life. Yeah. What activities are you doing? And and some of that is skill building, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. working on the car. Maybe you're going to change a sink out in your house. Um, you know, whatever those type of things that you're doing. Maybe it's just going to the going to the grocery store and you know coming back and cooking dinner. Um, yeah. Those things that yeah. you're already doing you're just bringing a young person along to help them experience that. And, you know, like growing up, you know, my dad was all about tinkering with cars and he still is. Um, you know, it's like, let's go to the junkyard and see what part we (laughs) can get put into this. Yeah. Um, you know, and so just those experiences. So really it's, you know, thinking about where your likes are and what your interests are and chances are we have, you know, we have a young person who's interested in that. And, um, one of our young men that comes to mind, He's a 14-year-old boy and loves everything trains. Um, Mm. So it's from model trains to actual trains, going to a train museum, Um, you know, going out and and whatever that is. So if you have, if there's somebody out there listening that loves trains, Mm -hmm. um, this young man could talk about trains all day long. You could build some models together, you know, those type of things.
0: Well, and that was going to be the other point that I wanted to make too is, you know, I, again, I can hear people saying, well, what, how do I know that my mentee is going to enjoy the same types of things that I uh, do? And that's part of what you do in making those matches.
3: Right. Absolutely. And so as you go through the process to become a mentor, we talk about those things a lot. What do you enjoy doing? What is your, you know, what is your history? What is your interest? You know, you you like to go to um, the ball game. You know, we have a lot of people go up to the mud hens or the Mm -hmm. zoo. So we talk with them. And then on the other side of that, we also also talk with the young man and talk with his family. What are your likes? What are your interests? So then once you get through the approval process, We sit down and we look at, as a staff, we get together, we talk about um, both sides of that, and then we talk about what we think and who we think would be a good pairing, a good match, um, because we want the matches to last. Uh, And then we present that to the mentor and say, here's a young man that we think that would be a good fit for you. What are your thoughts? Mm -hmm. Um, And if they say, yeah, this sounds good, then we do it on the other side as well. And we talk with the caregiver and with the child and say, you know, here's a um, here's a mentor that's interested. This is, you know, this is what yeah. this person is about. Um, and are you interested? So for both sides, they have an opportunity um, to feel that that's a good fit before they even meet. Yeah. Um, and then that mm-hmm. first meeting is done in conjunction with our case manager. So we don't just hand you the kid's address and say, have a good day. <laughs> um, we right. We walk you through those steps. Um, a lot of those first matches end up in our matches going out for ice cream afterwards because it's a good, quick, natural fix. And most people like ice cream. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we get them together. Um, we will meet them at the, at the child's house, introduce them to everybody. And at that point, then if everybody is feeling comfortable with that, then they might go out and do a quick activity with, with them. And if, you know, if the child's a little hesitant, and wants to get to know them a little bit better, then maybe it's, you know, sitting down and playing cards or, sure. you know, doing something yeah. in the yard that day. So,
0: uh, again, the point being that this is, uh, there's a lot of support here and uh, aligning a lot of those fears that maybe people have uh, about, you know, making those matches and, you know, what do I do and how do we know that we'll uh, be able to make a connection and so on. Uh, there's an awful lot of uh, support behind what you do. Now, the mentoring open house that we mentioned is uh, coming up. What tomorrow?
3: Is that right? That is correct. That is tomorrow evening, July okay. 29th. Uh, we are hosting it at um, Movement Church. Movement Church has been great partners with us over the years. Um, and if you don't know, Movement Church has a new location. They are at 200 South Main Street. Um, so those who have been around Finley for a while, that is the old Ace Hardware store. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will be meeting there from 6 to 8. So we would love for folks to stop in. Um, Just learn a little bit more about it. Like I said, talk to other men who've been involved in our program and have experienced it um, and the benefits that they have received as well. I'm sure they'll be happy to share those with you. Uh, And if you've got any questions before that, uh, we'd be happy to talk to you. Um, Our phone number is 419 424 Five,
0: two. It is a tremendously rewarding way to volunteer your time and make a difference in a kid's life. Uh, the uh, Children's Mentoring Connection Mentoring Open House coming up tomorrow evening. We have a link up on our webpage for more information. And again, Director Stacy Shaw with us this morning. Stacy, thanks very much for the update. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris.
4: We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news
0: alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. From the category of criminals who maybe should look for another line of work. Uh, In the process of trying to rob another individual, a New York thief recently lost his pants. Surveillance footage from the incident on July 12th shows the thief trying to rob a passerby in Brooklyn, but he is thwarted by his baggy shorts, which keep falling down. (laughs) The video shows the thief dragging the victim along the sidewalk as his shorts drop to his ankles and he falls on the street, still clinging to the property he's trying to steal. The would-be thief eventually lets go of the victim, then pulls up his pants and continues to go after the uh, property, uh, purse snatcher or whatever, and then he eventually gives up And runs off in the opposite direction. Police say the attempted thief fled the scene in a white SUV headed south. The uh, victim was taken to a local hospital, treated for minor injuries. No word on police have caught the attempted thief yet. Got a pretty good description, including the man's underwear. Apparently that's (laughs) maybe the first thing he should steal is a belt or just give up. And, you know, try something, try something else. (laughs) The criminal life is not for you. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, sometimes you just have to use whatever you can grab as a weapon. Whatever happens to be within arm's reach. A uh, security camera at a store in Russia caught the moment a worker chased a thief out of the store using a uh, double-ended adult toy. (laughs) The footage comes from... Well, this is what happens. This is what you use as a weapon when uh, the criminal comes in to rob an adult store, an adult toy store. That's You're going to uh, be warded off (laughs) with an adult toy. Uh, The saleswoman actually strikes the thief with the object. Local media reports the woman was working late when the thief allegedly entered and brandished a small knife... The footage is not confirmed to be real. Police have not confirmed whether they are investigating the incident at the sex shop. But (laughs) it's pretty funny, nonetheless. Uh, Let's see. Elsewhere in the broken news today, it is quality over quantity. Not as much stuff in the broken news, but it is good stuff. A Washington man is accused of stealing a school bus, stealing a front loader, and trying to destroy his own house. The uh, sheriff's office in Washington state says that Andrew Loudon was wearing a yellow sundress when he stole a school bus. (laughs) That alone would be enough to qualify for the broken news a uh, man wearing a yellow sundress stealing a school bus but he wasn't over he ditched the bus near Moses Lake and hitchhiked to uh, Chuela where he allegedly stole a front loader and police say he used that to flip a car onto his house and then demolish the residence Mr. Loudon was arrested They say he was released from Western State Hospital before he started the crime spree, but they didn't say why. He was released from the hospital right before he started the crime spree. Uh, Maybe his release might have been a little bit premature. (laughs) That is a full day right there. You steal a school bus wearing a sundress, then steal a front loader, flip a car onto your house, and then destroy the house with the front loader, that, uh, that's a full day. That's right there. And finally, in the broken news this morning, Bayless Park in Council Bluff, Nebraska, has been the victim of repeat bubble vandals. Twice in the last few weeks, the park's fountain has had to be turned off thanks to someone dumping soap in the fountain. Creating huge mounds of bubbles. (laughs) The city says this is no joke. It is not a harmless prank. The bubbles can be damaging to the piping inside the fountain, and it wastes time and money for city workers to have to clean up when they could be focused on other responsibilities. The mayor says he estimates that each time the prank happens, it costs about $2,500 of taxpayer money uh, to uh, correct the problem, correct the issue and get everything cleaned up and back to normal. But it is funny. (laughs) You see the video (laughs) of the bubbles, mountains of bubbles in the fountain. You can't help but giggle at that. Anyway, there you go. That is the broken news report this morning. Today's update and the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile apps for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your
5: Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills, and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Online at WFIN.com and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices.
0: And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. While millions of parents went into the summer looking forward to making up for lost time with their kids, you know, get a chance to vacation, get out, do things again, the stuff that we couldn't do last year, now it seems many parents are more than ready to get their kids back to school. (laughs) According to a new survey, 37% of parents have already started their shopping for school supplies and other items like clothing and shoes. Uh, fifty-one percent estimate that they will be done with their shopping by August. That's probably not a surprise, but I would imagine the numbers are just a little higher uh, now than what they normally are for this time of year. Uh, this is a poll of two thousand Americans, uh, non-scientific but interesting nonetheless. Says parents are spending an average of eight hundred forty-three dollars per child on back to school. That is up by nineteen percent from the seven hundred seven dollars spent on average last year, probably because we didn't have to buy new school clothes, new school shoes, and all of those uh, sorts of things last year because they weren't heading back to class. But anyway, 43% say they are spending more on school supplies, though. 39% say they're spending more on backpacks. Again, something you didn't have to worry about last year, I guess. Four in 10 said they are shopping both online and in-person. Half agree that online shopping offers more variety. Another interesting find in the uh, poll, which shows parents' state of mind uh, in the latter stages of the summer, 65% of parents are doing some back-to-school shopping for themselves. 65% say they will be splurging on new clothes for themselves. 58% say they'll buy new shoes. 33% will spend on self-care items. (laughs) 17% of parents... Say that their own back-to-school shopping list includes a bottle of wine. <laughs> They'd see that coming. And nearly half of the parents surveyed say they plan to celebrate when the little ones get back to class. In fact, 22% say they are planning to take a vacation without their kids <laughs> once school starts. <laughs> Hey, when they start school, they're not they're not spending 24 it's been a while since they've been back in class. Maybe you forgot how this works. They don't stay there 24/7 <laughs> generally. <laughs> Unless you're sending them to a military academy or something. They're not staying there 24/7. So, taking a vacation themselves <laughs> without the kids once school starts it just underscores that we are ready. We are ready for them to go back to class. In today's Keeping the Faith segment, there has been much discussion in religious circles about the declining uh, church attendance, declining uh, numbers of church attendance uh, in recent years, particularly a yo- among younger people. And uh, a lot of uh, more progressive churches uh, have responded uh, with uh, broader interpretations of the- uh, theological themes of uh, religious themes and it has raised the question of whether these theological trends of american churches in the name of inclusion have taken the attention off of christ and his message here's contributor john clemens this morning keeping the faith
4: brian wolf co-host of the famous lutheran theological game show table talk radio is also the author of the book Has American Christianity Failed by Concordia Publishing?
5: I grew up especially theologically in the evangelical churches in America, the big box church, and I loved it there. I learned to love the scriptures, the Lord's Word, to read and study the Bible. I ran into a number of problems that I found theologically. I write a little bit about that story and especially what the major theological trends are in the church in America and what their problems are. Some things to make sure that we're comparing with the scriptures to make sure that our doctrine matches the Bible and not just the popular
4: opinion. In his book, Has American Christianity Failed?, he writes about those theological trends.
5: We call them revivalism, pietism, mysticism, and enthusiasm. To summarize them really briefly, revivalism says that my Christianity starts with me, not with Jesus. Pietism says that my Christianity grows by my own effort, not by the work of the Holy Spirit. Mysticism says that almost all theological activity is this relationship with me and God rather than the hearing and believing of God's Word, and enthusiasm says my theological or my my religious life is on the inside of me, not on the outside of me.
4: Pastor Wolf Mueller wonders about your thoughts of prayer. Is it this picture?
5: The picture that we have of prayer is this kind of peaceful, meditative... Um, You know, there's the mountains in the background with the still, you know, the lake is there and the reflection of the flowers. Prayer is very meditative and this sort of thing. But the picture that the Bible gives us of prayer is one of wrestling. So we have, for example, Jacob wrestling with God on the banks of the river. He won't let go of God until God gives him a blessing. It's a beautiful picture of prayer.
4: As a theologian, Wolf Müller has wrestled with that picture of prayer.
5: The goal is comfort, although sometimes we have to go through trouble to get to comfort. Going through this theological wrestling and pilgrimage that I went on, trying to sort out how it was that we were taught things that were false and didn't have things that were true. And This is an, it's an agonizing sort of thing to go through the searching of the scriptures to determine what's true. And here in the scriptures, the clear voice of God's dad, there's nothing more comforting than that. And that's why I, I wrote the book and put it out there for people to, to take a look at so that they could come to that absolute certainty.
4: Has American Christianity failed is also, for those who have wondered, why it seems some of their prayers have not been answered.
5: We have the Syrophoenician woman who comes to Jesus and she's begging that the Lord would rescue her daughter and Jesus doesn't say a word to her. She won't let go of Jesus. She's grasping for the yes that's there behind his apparent no. And finally Jesus turns to her and says, great is your faith, be it done for you as you desire. So that our life is prayer, is that same sort of thing. We grab a hold of the promises that the Lord has given, and that's our prayer life, is holding on to God's, yes that looks like it's a no. It's a hidden yes behind the no.
4: Miller writes in Has American Christianity Failed about the prayer we were taught to say
5: prayer is an intersection of two things. It's an intersection of our own needs and of his promises. So we bring that need to the Lord and we mix that need up with what the Lord has promised. That's why Jesus gives us this great gift in the Lord's prayer where he gives us seven things to ask for and there's not a single thing that we can manage to pray that's not included in those seven petitions of the Lord's prayer. Where we pray for his name and his kingdom and his will, we pray for daily bread, forgiveness, leading and deliverance. That complete prayer not only tells us what to pray, tells us what the Lord wants to give to
4: us. Is it a question that Christians now in our culture lack discernment?
5: We see, for example, in the Old Testament that the true prophets were always the prophets that the people rejected. They were thrown in jail, they were stoned, they were cut in half. The people didn't want to hear them because, because the false prophets were preaching pre- peace, peace, while the true prophets were warning. So a lot of times the, the false prophets are much more appealing to us than the true prophets are. So we always want to do what the Bereans did. They received the word with joy, but they tested against the scriptures to make sure that the preaching is
4: true. Here's how to get in touch with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, author of Has American Christianity Failed?
5: I've got a little website. It's wolfmuller.co. We couldn't afford the M at the end, so wolf, W-O-L-F-M-U-E-L-L-E-R.co, and um, Uh, So that's the easiest way to find me. My email is there, Twitter, Facebook, uh, I'm on all those things. Uh, And the book is called Has American Christianity Failed? It's it's, uh, published by Concordia Publishing House, so
4: cph.org, you can find that there as well. This is John Clemens reporting.
0: Boy, that title, Has American Christianity Failed? Uh, That is a, a pretty bold topic uh, really jumps out and grabs you as a Christian. And uh, similarly, uh, Brian Wolfmuller's posts, many of his posts on his blog, uh, are uh, also very thought-provoking. We've got a link up to it all at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. Keeping the faith this morning. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about on the show each day at our webpage. Uh, that is goodmornings.net. Check us out on the World Wide Web. Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.